Well, this morning, continuing in our series, working through the book of Romans, and uh, going to be in chapter 12 this weekend, continuing and looking at ch- verses 3 through 8. So if you want to start turning in your Bibles there, it's so much easier for looking at this uh, together. Before we uh, dive in, though, I was uh, thinking about the, one of the fun pictures of this. We're going to be talking about us being the hands of Christ. And really, one of the things I've felt like as a church that was an area of, that we're lacking in or would like to grow in is specific ways that we're serving and meeting needs of the poor. And so you heard Adrian mention the announcement, the new homeless ministry. And the fact is that it's, we had an option where we could do it once a quarter or once a month. So I was like, you know what, we're, we're, go big or go home. And so we, did, we decided to, to do that. And so we're really looking forward to seeing people engage in that and roll up their sleeves and be involved. And so really praying that God would lead and direct uh, many people to choose to uh, engage in that ministry. That was a little commercial before I start here. All right, so looking at uh, the verses in uh, Romans 12, you remember we started the, the chapter of t- in 12 talking about being living sacrifices. That was the main theme last week of what our, our call is. And that was a, a charge that he's given for every single believer because of the sacrifice that Christ has made on our behalf. It only makes sense naturally that we're then a sacrifice back to him, but not a dying sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. He explained or started to explain what that looks like, what it means to be a living sacrifice. So one of the first and most important things that has to happen for a living sacrifice is to have their minds reprogrammed to think differently than the world we're in. We talked about that last week, the idea of being transformed and running things through the filter and test. Is this of God? Is this of the world? And and is this of the flesh? And learning to decipher between the two. And so we talked about that this last week. Well, this week, he turns a quarter and starts to say, once that's happened, once we start to see the transformation of our minds and we start to think differently, then it's more and more possible for us to become the hands of Christ, to become the hands of Christ, reaching out to the world around us. It's kind of a, a, a fascinating thought to think of yourself as a, the hands of Christ. Heard a story told by John MacArthur about after World War II, there's a group of German students that left and went to England with the intent of helping rebuild some of the cathedrals that had been destroyed by German bombs. Kind of interesting. So they, in other words, they made the mess. They were going to go help clean up the mess. So kind of a, a neat idea after the war. And so these students, they came upon some different things that they're trying to rebuild and redesign. Well, one of the things they came upon was a statue of Jesus. You can see this might not be the exact one, but a replica of it. The statue itself was missing some, because of the the bomb, so it was missing some important items. Who, Who can tell me what it's missing there? Hands. And so they really worked hard trying to figure out how can we recreate and duplicate hands? How, how can we get them to be stuck back onto this, this statue? And they, they noticed at the, at the bottom of the statue, it said, come unto me. Pretty powerful idea with Jesus with outstretched hands there. And so after, after trying to solve this for an extended period of time, they came to the conclusion, we can't fix this. So what they did instead, they added a new title to the bottom that says, Christ has no hands, but ours. Christ has no hands, but ours. Do you see the picture there? In other, world, in other words, we are 
His extension to the world around us. He's chosen to use us as His hands. That's, that's kind of a crazy thought. And so when you, first, when you first hear that, your mind might go straight to thinking, I don't know, I don't, that, that sounds like a pretty intimidating idea to be the hands of God. But even that has to do with our minds being transformed. Instead of thinking, oh no, how can I be the hands of God? Changing your mind to think, I'm the hands of God? Are you kidding me? Like that's awesome news because we're so caught up in our insufficiency that we miss out on his sufficiency. In other words, if he's designed you to be his hands, do you think they're going to fail? Do you think they're going to be lacking power? Do you think he's going to leave you hanging? Yeah, you're my hands. Ha <laughs> ha, you failed again, sucker. Like, no. Like, of course not. The idea, letting that kind of sink in and take root to understand that you are God's hands means that he's going to empower you to do what he's called you to do. He's going to, we're going to see in the text here that he's given you the specific uh, gifts or, or tools that are needed to, to accomplish. And it even says in Scripture that he's laid out the things that he's invited you to do. So he's created what he wants you to do. He's given you the tools to do it and the power to do it. And then lastly, we're going to see in the text is that he didn't call us to do it alone. You've got lots of people to do it with pretty awesome idea. If you're missing out on this idea of God's plan for the church, you're missing out on a lot of meaning and fulfillment in your life. So many people are like, man, I just feel like a kind of in this hopeless job and kind of feel kind of bored in life. That's maybe because you're missing out the truth that you're his hands. Let me pray for us before we dive in. God, we thank you so much for this reality that we're going to see in this text that you've included us in your work here on this planet, that you've chosen to involve us in what you're doing. We get to represent you, that we're empowered by you, that you've uniquely designed us with specific gifts and talents to make it easy, to make it doable, to make it realistic. Pray that you stretch our understanding this morning, that you change even our thinking about church the way we approach church, not as something that we attend, but something that we're a part of. God, I pray that you teach us that I'd be small, you'd be great. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So the first thing that we're going to see here is the, a, a, a caution, which is unique. Take a look with me at verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's interesting that Paul starts this conversation about the, the body of Christ and his design with a caution. And what is the caution? Not to think too highly of yourself. Not to, not to be prideful. Not to, not to, not to think too, too, uh, yeah, too highly of yourself. And, and who does it, who's he talking to? He says, everyone among you. Everyone among you, nobody sneaks past the seduction of pride. Nobody sneaks by the seduction of pride. Tell the person next to you, you're in it too. You're in it too. Like, you're, we're, we're all in it. We, we, nobody sneaks... Everybody's really excited to say that to the person next to them. Nobody sneaks by it. It's a subtle tug for each one of us. It's a subtle tug for each one of us, and here's the way it typically manifests itself in our lives. We typically buy into thinking 
that there's a good reason for exalting myself and disliking others. We typically think there's a good reason for exalting myself and disliking others. That's what pride looks like. We think of ourselves really highly, but we have no problem pointing out the faults and flaws of everyone around us. That is pride, and that's how our pride sneaks in. It can ruin everything. Look at what he cautions us. He says, don't, don't think too highly, or th- it starts in our mind, thinking highly of ourselves. But you think about that, it's hard not to. We're in a world that loves to celebrate people, don't we? Like we love to take somebody and lift them up on a pedestal, whether it's an actor or whether it's a sports person or whether it's a politician, whatever it is, we love to worship people. We love to worship people. And it's so dangerous because that type of thinking that's prevalent in our culture sneaks into church world as well. And it's easy for pastors or leaders or people with different gifts to, I was looking at this picture of the stadium that a, a pastor would speak at. Like, can you imagine somebody leading in that environment and not feeling the pool of thinking highly of themselves? Can you imagine the, the, the tug of that? Can you imagine a, a certain gifts of a, a musician that's playing up there? You see, church has the same tug, and small church world does too, to elevate certain areas of giftedness and to belittle other areas. And so what happens is the ramification is that you got some people thinking really highly of themselves and some people thinking really like, oh, I'm really not needed and not necessary. Both have the potential to destroy. So what does he say? What's, how do you combat that? Love you, see how you combat that at the beginning of the section. He says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone. He understood that everything is from God. So whatever you've got has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. Somebody was telling me after the, the first service of a story, she works in a doctor's office and she had, had a, a pretty dramatic experience with a, during childbirth that a woman's uh, life was literally on the line and the doctor uh, had to go into emergency surgery and the doctor was, was able to save this, this woman's life. Pretty powerful story. And she said when they, they, the doctor came out, they said, wow, what does that feel like? You, you, you were able to save that, that woman's life. And he was a believer, this doctor. And his response was this. He says, you know what? Guess who gave me these? These are from God. These aren't, these aren't, these aren't my hands. These are, these are his hands. That wasn't me guiding that. That was him. So he gets all the credit. That's what Paul's saying there. That's what he's pointing to is it has nothing to do with us, everything to do with him. Otherwise, like, can you imagine how stupid that must sound to God? He's like, I gave you all of that. Why would you be prideful of it? It says to have sober judgment. Anybody else been around a drunk person that says some stupid stuff? Anybody else? Like, uh, when, someone, when somebody's had a few too many, what do they start doing? To, a lot of times, it's, isn't it funny how a lot of times it's bragging? A lot of times it's just ramble, uh, but a lot, of the, a lot of times it's the voice, the, the tone elevates, like, uh, like, did we forget how to hear because we've had a few drinks? Like, you see, the, the funny thing is that when someone's had too much to drink, that's why he's saying, sober, think soberly about this. It all comes from him. So that's the foundation that has to be there, that understanding. He even says the measure of faith. I've even given you the faith needed. In other words, the understanding and capacity needed even to exercise your gifts. 
So there's nothing that we should cling to in pride. So here's the other important part. I want to close the section with this idea. So not too highly of yourself, but also not thinking too lowly of yourself. A lot of times people are like, well, the pride thing, that's not as, as big of, a, of an issue as it is feeling like I don't really have anything to contribute. contribute. But you see in our, our text this morning that, no, every single person that is in Christ, he's given them specific gifts to, to, to live out the specific call that he has for their life. So for anybody to think like, oh, I don't, I don't really, my, what I have to offer doesn't really matter. That's like, the, that's like the liver saying to the body, like, oh, I'm not really necessary. Yes, you are, like a, or a lung being like, well, I'm kind of hidden, I'm behind the scenes, like, I'm not really necessary. No, we need you for breathing, right? Right? Do you understand this picture that he's painting related to a body? He goes on to describe that we're all in this together. Verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You see that in overview there. He says we are one body, different parts, different functions. That's that section. One body, different parts, different functions. That's That's the idea that he's pointing out there. But even to grasp that, our mind, if you think about it, has to be transformed because does our world tell us that we're all part of one body? Like we're all united with the same? No. Our world tells us you're the center of your own universe. Everything revolves around you, what you believe to, to be true, whatever you value. You have your rights and you're like, he's like that's, not, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, you're part of one body. He even says, he says, members one of another. Like that. You're, you're so intertwined, it's almost creepy sounding when you read it. This, this idea that you're the center of the universe doesn't work in the kingdom of God. So he says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. We have to mesh perfectly to work together. I was looking up the, this week uh, a, a baseball player by the name of Eraldus. Chapman. Have you guys heard of this guy before? He's a, a Cuban baseball player. He's a, a, a pitcher in the, in the Major League Baseball. I think he's recently got in trouble, uh, which is kind of normal in professional sports. But, uh, but here's the, the idea. He was, what, what he was doing, it, it, he's a pitcher. He's actually on record for throwing the very fastest pitch ever in recorded baseball. Isn't that crazy? It, it happened on, on September 25th, 2010 at Petco Park in San Diego, 105.1 miles an hour. So that thing had some, had some heat. Like, this guy can seriously throw. Can you imagine being known as the person that's thrown the fastest pitch of all time in recorded baseball history? That's pretty, pretty awesome. So, so this guy, I was picturing that. So imagine you had the opportunity to stand in front of the plate with him pitching. Some baseball players in the room here, can you imagine that? You're like, all right, not only am I going to stand there, I think I'm going to do it without a helmet on because this guy, look how weird he looks throwing that ball. Like, I'm going to be just fine. It's going to work out. You're standing there. You've got the, the pitch coming past. The first one, you're like, whoa, that's just like, that's unbelievable. You're like, but that's all right. In my pride, I don't need a helmet. I got this next one. I'm just going to swing for the fences. Well, the next time, in that millisecond, you see the pitch 
coming at your melon, what would you do? What would you do? How would you respond? Would you say, well, head, that's your problem? (laughs) Or would it take every effort of every muscle in your body united, trying to move out of the way like a matrix scene, like trying to pull out of the, the, the way of this pitch coming at your head? You wouldn't isolate and say, oh, that's, that, that's your issue, that's your part. That's what he's saying here. Every single one of us, in order for this to work properly, in order for this to come together, in order for us to dodge the pitches, if you will, of the world, like in order for that to happen, man, it's got to be together. Do we think like that? Do we think like that? Do we work in sync with each other? It's God's design for the ter- church. He wants us to be so intertwined and interconnected. That's why you constantly hear us like, man, get in a life group, get in a discipleship group, be in a women's study, be involved, doing life together, using your gifts, serving together. You you hear us constantly, consistently talking about that, but yet we're still confused. Here's what I think is an important statement for us to remember. Put it on the screen there for you. Church on Sundays isn't to recharge your batteries so you can go back to living your own independent Christian lives. I think too many people have that mentality. Like, oh man, I need church. You know, it refuels me. It powers me up so I can go back to doing my thing. Ah, that's not God's design. That's, that's not what he's describing here. That doesn't sound like it to me. Individually members one of another. Does that sound like people that are just popping in for a refuel? Like, No. That you're, you're missing out on God's best when we don't get what we're called to be, bringing our gifts to the table, table intertwined. We've been trying to live this out in our, in our own life group that Adrian and I are in. We've said this past fall, we said, you know what? We're not going to just be a Bible study. We're going to be a Bible do group. And it sounded good on paper. And uh, I was like, all right. So, so we started saying, all right, one time we're going to come together and we're going to have Bible study together. It's going to be great. And you, what we usually do, meal together. And then the next time we're going to say, instead of gathering just to, to eat, we're going to figure out how to serve together. We're going we're to rally together and we're going to actually use our gifts and, and apply those. And we've successfully done that twice since my anthem in the fall. And, uh, but, but anyway, but the fun thing is, is what we have seen, the last time we, we did it together, we helped serve a, a senior saint in our, in our church, going over to her house and fixing up her house, cleaning up, take, painting some walls, cleaning carpet, you know, like the whole nine yards. And it was so fun to get to know the other people there on a level that you're like, man, I didn't know you were like that. I didn't know you were so uptight. Or I didn't know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I didn't know that you were so like demanding. I didn't know. It's, it's a funny thing of what comes out when everybody's, have you guys noticed this before serving too? There's a, there's a connection point that comes that's not there when you're not doing anything together. That's why he's saying, I want you to be so intertwined because you're, you're bringing the foot, you're bringing the leg. Man, we definitely need the brain. We definitely need the lungs, the heart. The, like it, it all needs to work together. That's God's design. What a beautiful picture of what he wants us. So, so how do we do this? How, do, how, do we, how does that play out? He says in verse 6 that, well, in order for this to work, we've got to have different roles. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches 
in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. He says there, describing some different gifts there, you see there he repeats what he had already said before. He said, not all have the same function. Now he says, gifts that differ. You get the idea that we all have different roles in this. We have different things, and, and they're not designed to compete. They're designed to complete. The complete body is to, hey, man, this part, you do this part, you do this part. That's, that's his initial design. But I think it's fascinating, four different words there that might sneak by. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. In other words, What's the point if they're just sitting there? Let us use them. I was reading this this week about a guy, by his, na- his name starts with Sultan. I don't know how you get that title, but Sultan Husanul Bolkia. Uh, in case you wonder where all of your gas money goes, this is where it goes. So th- th- this, man, this man has a collection of 7,000 cars, 7,000 cars, with a $5 billion worth of his car collection. 7,000 cars. He has 452 Ferraris, 604 Rolls Royces, 382 Bentleys, and the list goes on and on, all sitting perfectly pristine in five airplane hangers. Not bad, huh? Not a, not a bad setup. But here's the thing. I am a car fan. I like cars. I've always liked cars. The idea of it just owning one Ferrari sounds fantastic to me. But this idea of sitting there, he's got this hanger. Look at that. Enzo, Enzo, Enzo. That's not just a name. It's a car. There, there's car, car after car, million dollar car after million dollar car, just sitting there in a plane locker I'm guessing probably not used very often. How many of those 7,000 cars do you think he's driven? I bet you there's even some he's never even driven in, in his life. There's only so much time in a day, you know? And uh, although it'd be fun to give it a shot. But, uh, but, but here, I was thinking about this as a picture of the church. How sad it is to think of the church as a plane hanger full of Ferraris not being used. A plane hanger full of Ferraris not being used. Each one's just like, no, God's like, listen, this one is handcrafted in Italy or Germany or whatever. I made this one specifically. And this one can do stuff that none of the others can do. It has the paddle shifting. You know, like you, you, you think about him with each one of our unique designs that puts a Ferrari to shame. He said, I've uniquely crafted every single person to be used to come apart, to be a part of the bigger body. And if it's just sitting there, isn't that a tragedy, a travesty? Think about that, how sad that is. And that is why he says, no, not just, I didn't just give these so we could talk about them in Christian circles. I gave them so you could use them as part of the intertwined body of Christ. And really, do you think about it, what's being asked He's asking you, stop and think about this for a second. What's he asking of you? He's asking you to do stuff you're naturally really good at. Really? Is that, is that such, a, such a chore? 
When you watch Steph Curry on the basketball court, if anybody watches basketball like me, does it, does it, does it look like it's a challenge for him to shoot a three? Like, are you kidding me? No, it's a, uh, I've even heard him talking about it. It's a privilege. It's so much fun. The same is true for us to thinking about the gifts he's given us. Man, we should be like, yeah, I'm in. One, he's like, I empower you to do it. Two, I've given you the gift and the tools to do it, and I've even provided the opportunities for you to do it. What more does he have to set up to tee up for us for us to use it? So that's why he says, let us use them. We learn other places in Scripture that there's a, a ton that comes from it. Ephesians 4 talks about how our gifts help mature us. It helps bring unity, helps reach the lost. There's so many benefits. Why would we not want to partake? Too often we get confused and start comparing and thinking, elevating as it started the section with one gift over another. Here's a question for what is the most important spiritual gift? What is the most important spiritual It completely, there's none. It completely depends on the circumstance. If there's somebody lying in a hospital on their last breath that could use some comfort, they don't need a preacher. If there's, some, if there's a, a broken toilet that needs fixed, we don't need a worship leader. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it all depends on what the circumstance is as to what the need is. And when all of us are saying, hey, I'm bringing it to the table so that we got everything, we've got all of our bases covered. We've got all of our bases covered because we're all in. That's his design for the church. That's his design. And so it doesn't, doesn't make, make a difference which gift it is. He starts listing them here. I want to just talk through these ones that he mentions. Maybe as you're hearing them, you can say like, hey, that, that might be something that I'm a strength of mine, the way I'm wired up. The first one, prophecy. Sometimes when we hear that, we start freaking out. We're like, prophecy? Because usually you associate prophecy with predicting the future, right? We normally associate that, but prophecy, as it's described and, and played out in the New Testament, is a person that has insight into God's message for a particular circumstance. Somebody that has insight to God's message for a particular circumstance. You ever come across that person that, man, they just have the perfect words from God at just the right moment. You're like, you're going through that. Well, that makes me think of Ecclesiastes and uh, the meaningless of life. And I don't, I don't know. I'm just making that up. Off the, but you, you get the idea. Somebody might have the exact words from God at the perfect time. You've maybe been on the receiving end of that. And it's such a gift. I do caution people to be careful how often or if ever you use the words, I have a word for the Lord, from the Lord from you, unless you're pointing to Scripture, because then you're like, man, I don't, I don't know. Are you sure about that? I want to make sure that's not indigestion. You know, like I want to make sure. So be cautious with that, usually throwing that around. But it's a gift to our community. It's said to be used in proportion to our faith. The next one there, service, is really any form of help, any form of help. It's a, a huge gift to see how many people in our church have that gift or are exercising that gift and regularly serving. Man, you show up here on a, on a Tuesday night, right, Casey? And you can see across the whole landscape of this, this campus, different people just coming together saying, man, I'm, I'm just here to serve, to help. And man, there's so many roles. I, I was thinking about the role fa family, Gary and Debbie, just in the back. He's right behind the camera as we're talking right now, just using his gifts, just serving behind the scenes. 
You'll show up an hour after church is out when everybody's out having, having meals and Ar- Arlene Luzak's in there cleaning the, the kitchen, getting things put away, making sure, getting a count on our cups. You, you know that, that Starbucks you had this morning? That's because somebody counted the cups and how many stirs needed to be there. All of these things happen behind the scenes with people serving. That's how God designed the church to work. So serving in any form, teaching... I love how the, I, was, I was reading that and I was like, well, what's his, his charge for somebody that's a, a teacher? He says, let him teach. I'm like, oh, well, that's real, real profound. So in other words, let him teach. But I think it's important to understand what a teacher is supposed to teach. You can find that in 2 Timothy 4.2 where we're told to preach the word. Preach the word. Not preach my word, preach the word. The word. Because why? In verse, th- verse 3 of uh, 2 Timothy 4, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You see, when the, whatever church you end up at, whether you're here for the long haul, you're another herd at, at another church, that's great. I love that we have so many great options. But here's a, a key thing for you to run through the filter. Is the man standing up front, is he teaching God's word or is he teaching his word? It's a critical thing to determine and who you're under. Because what happens if it's my word, man, I'll, I'll go some crazy directions. I'll, I'll end up in some, some routines and, and skipping some things, the full counsel of God, skipping some things that are a little less fun to talk about. I probably, on the day that we were doing baby dedications in the fall, I probably wouldn't have talked about homosexuality as the topic for that morning if it wasn't in God's word. But instead, that's where we went. That's the topic that's maybe a little, le- a little more touchy, not one that you want to just dive into. One I might be tempted to skip if it's my word. A few weeks ago, talking about election. That's not a fun one to talk about, explaining that God chose us before we chose him. How do you explain that to a group of people? But it's in God's word. And the job of a teacher is to bring it, uh, cookies out of shelf that people can get to. My hope every week is that, hey, he's making, you're like, well, if he can figure that out, I can figure that out. You know, like that's my hope is put it at a, a level that's like, man, that's understandable. It's, it, it's digestible. So for the teacher, key, sorry, I went on a little tangent there, got excited. Okay, so exhortation, the, another word you're maybe more familiar with is encouragement. This encouragement is such a critical spot. Anybody, man, does anybody, is anybody else like me where if somebody just speaks a, a, just a little word of encouragement, something to cheer them on, to compel them, to stir them a little bit, to, to lift them up, man, God uses that in such a mighty way. Sometimes, though, this is what's interesting, there's a difference between flattery and encouragement, so let's make sure we get the difference between those two. And there's also not sometimes the best encouragement might even come in the form of correction. Man, Scott, man, I believe this in you, but it seems like you're headed down this direction or you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean that you're not encouraging them or exhorting them towards better. Make sure that we're using it. Here, the the same idea, and we'll continue on, but the idea of let us use them. I want us to pause for a second and reflect on that question. How are we doing with that statement? Let us use them. How are we using our gifts within the body of Christ? Are we using them? If so, then where? If not, then when? 
If so, then where? If not, then when? That's the question I ask for us to wrestle through. When do we choose to get that Ferrari out of the hangar and out on the road? Continues a couple more thoughts as we wrap up with this last section. The one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Points to three more different uh, gifts there, giving, leadership, and mercy. Giving is the idea, is if you have money to give it generously, although some people don't have money and still give generously. Does anybody know Stephanie Ross in our church? Stephanie Ross is always broke, but she's always doing something for somebody. High school ministry, can you attest to this? Like, have you been on the receiving end of some kindness of, of Stephanie? She gave me some mangoes before service this morning. What in the world? And, uh, and, uh, uh, and so it's interesting. Some people are just wired to give. But sometimes, on the other side of that, some people are wired to make money and be really good at giving. Have you ever met that person that you talk to them and anything they touch turns to gold? Like I honestly think it's a gift. Like some people have the ability to earn resources. Some people are just, am I the only one that talks to somebody like that? You're like, oh, so that investment worked out for you too, huh? How about that? Mine didn't, but, uh, <laughs> but how about that? But, uh, but you see that idea. Some people would have that, that gift and those people are critical to the ministry of the church. There's a lot of things I've come to conclude take resources in order to accomplish, in order to accomplish. So that person, what does he say? He says the person that gives, give it generously. And then the next one, the one who leads with zeal, leading. That's a a intense title. A lot of times we cringe at the idea of leading, but I like this definition. A leader is someone who takes people where they don't want to go when they get there, they're glad they went. It's the idea that, that somebody that takes you somewhere you don't want to go, but when you get there, you're like, oh man, so glad I went there. Or I think it's even more expansive than that. You, you want to get there, but you're just not sure how. That's the gift of a leader. And maybe even that's what I'm calling you to this morning as I'm trying to lead this church from maybe being on the sidelines to the fullness of life that God invites us to when we're an intertwined working body for him. Leadership. And I'll tell you what, our church is starved. We could use more leaders. I was just coming back from our conference with our, our team, just hearing each one of them share their hearts. They're like, man, we sure could lead, use somebody to lead that. Oh, man, we sure could lead, use somebody to lead that. Like, there, There's not a shortage of opportunities even within this body of leadership. We have this new homeless ministry, and each month it's going to take somebody that coordinates it and sends out a schedule and, and, and collects who's doing what meal spots. And, and I'm looking at that daunting task, and I'm like, please, Lord, bring a leader. There's my sales pitch for you. You can wrestle through that. Uh, but but here, here's, the, here's the idea. Here's the idea. Leadership, every single one of, do you start to see this? Every single one of these pieces is key. Mercy, I like this definition, supernaturally enabled to care for those who are in need. Some people just have that gift. When somebody has the gift of mercy, you're like, man, you know, I, I covet it sometimes because I wouldn't say that's necessarily a strength of mine. Uh, my wife's nodding over here. But, uh, but mercy, when somebody's just, they're just, they just know how to meet somebody in their place of need. They just know. They just know the right words to say. They know the right things to say. The, the 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 right tone. They know what to say, what not to say. 
Isn't that important in mercy as well? We, we joke about this. My, um, my aunt, when we were growing up, she was known to be pretty a direct speaker, and uh, maybe even you might use the word harsh. And, uh, and uh, we were at my, my uncle's house. He has a real nice house, and he had this uh, real beautiful cobblestone walkway going up, tons of acreage. And, uh, and one, of her, one of her sons, which was one of my cousins, got a pretty good playing, got a pretty good gash on his foot. He's coming up, dragging his foot up the walkway, and her first response is like, get off their walkway, bleeding the wood chips. And I was like, so, so I, I, that's been our running joke as a family. When somebody's going through, when somebody's going through, you're like, that's not really the person that you want to be meeting you in the hospital during your lowest point when you're and so it's our running joke in our house when somebody's going through something you're like bleeding the wood chips like uh and so maybe you can steal that from me but here's the idea for the person that has mercy we need that person desperately for the person that doesn't have mercy just shut up no i'm just kidding (laughs) don't say anything or here's 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 some important words for the person that doesn't have mercy here I've, i've learned these these are I'm so sorry. If you can just say that, that's all you need to say. Leave the rest for somebody with mercy. I'm so sorry. And then you can walk away. But, uh, but, but, but here, the point, the point being, each one of these gifts, critical. And if this doesn't capture all of them. If you want to do a study on them, 1 Corinthians 12 has a, a more expansive list. If you've never done one of these inventories to kind of explore what your own gifts are, shoot me an email this week. I'll send you a copy of one of these gift inventories. But it's a powerful tool when you do figure out what is your gift, what are you wired up to do. He ends with this last challenge. I want to end with this last challenge that we see in the, the text here. He, each one of those gifts that he mentions, look at what he says. One who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Do you see how each one of those gifts, it's important the attitude that's attached to that serving. It's critical. There's nothing worse. Well, I'm sure that you could think of something. It's a pretty big bummer when you have somebody, sir, a, a grumpy volunteer is like, oh man, you're, you're missing God's design for this. You're missing his heart for this. You're, you're not doing him a favor. Do you think God like, oh man, what am I going to do? I, I don't have enough volunteers. Like, do you think he's like, oh shoot, I'm so stuck. Oh no. Do you think the pastor, you're doing him a favor? Who do we think we're doing a favor? Our, vol- our, our heart in serving needs to be one. What does he describe there? With zeal. He says, he says, with, with uh, generosity, with cheerfulness, our attitude matters in the way that we serve. Because why? We learned in the last section, because it's our spiritual act of worship. In other words, you're laying that before him, like a gift laid before him. Are you, can you imagine somebody showing up at your birthday party and you're like, here's your gift, hope you like it. You know what I mean? You're like, you're like keep the gift, I'm not interested. You know what I mean? And, and, and so here, here's the same idea for us, to do a heart check in our service. 
to do a heart check. And some of us may have gotten numb or grown cold over the years of doing the same thing for a, a long time. Mix it up. Do something different. Mix it up. But don't show up with the, with the, the heart that you're like, oh, I'm doing somebody a favor because you're not if it's not in the right attitude. And God can change that heart. I've, been to, I've done plenty of things that I show up and I'm like, I do not even want to be here. And, uh, and then you're like, God, you need to change my heart. You need to restore it. You need to align it back with yours and seeing the perfect design of being a part of your body for your purposes. I'll end with this. It's just thinking through the picture. Imagine this church, Agora Bible Fellowship, kind of placed in this random neighborhood in Rabbit Valley. What, what are we doing here? Imagine if this church, you showed up, and there's people that are living out their prophecy gifts. Man, they are giving the, the perfect word from the Lord to you right at the exact time. They're, they're sharing their heart with you. There's people serving and, and, and meeting needs. There's people teaching and speaking and truth in the, is in the air. There's exhortation, people building you up and encouraging you. There's, there's giving that's done generously to meet needs that were shortened. There, there's mercy when you're going through a difficult time. You're like, man, who wouldn't want to be a part of that family, right? Right? Telling you, if we got this, this area right, people would be beating down those doors to be a part of this fellowship. But it just takes each one of us to say, all right, I, I'm in. I, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring out what my gifts are. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. You know what the best way to figure out how to serve? Start doing something and then figure out, no, that doesn't work well, or man, that seems good. And start to, to, to we want to create an environment where you can try different stuff. And you know what? You're not married to anything you're doing, but roll up your sleeves, use your gifts. Man, God could use that in a mighty way. As the group's coming up for our last worship song right now, I just want to give us the gift of 20, 30 seconds to ask yourself, what's God saying to me about this this morning? What's, it, what's, he, what's he pressing in on my heart about? What's he, what's he wanting to speak to me about as it relates to being his hands? Some of us are like, man, no, I'm, I'm already fully in. You can, you can look at the, the landscape of my schedule and you can see, man, I am, I am, my hands are in. Some of us might be some reassessing of priorities, might be some changing, reconfiguring of what gets our time. I just want to give you them a few moments of, of silence and then Chad will lead us in this last song. Well, there's no better picture of what we've been describing here than our, our high school choir that we're really excited about uh, going out this week. I wanted to just close our service, just taking a minute and just praying over them. I can't think of too many more high schoolers in our country that are probably in this next weekend going on an outreach singing choir. And so let's just join me in prayer. If you want to extend a hand as I lift them up. Dear God, thank you so much for this team of, of students and their heart and their desire to worship you through serving and meeting the needs around them, God. Using their gifts, bringing their, their talents to the table. I pray that you'd use them mightily in the weekend to come, God. That you'd use them, uh, give, provide specific opportunities for ministry, God. That you'd give doors that are open that would typically be shut where they get a chance to speak in to people's lives, God. That you'd soften hearts, that you'd do what only you can do behind the scenes to prepare people to hear about the love and grace of Jesus Christ. 
Pray for each one of them that you'd give them a boldness, a confidence in being your hands. God, I thank you for that reality. May that permeate us. May that sink into our thinking as well. Pray that you'd protect them, the unity on the team, that they'd really be able to uh, enjoy this and and be able to use the, the skills and the talents that you've given them to bless others. We thank you so much, God, for your inclusion of us that you chose to let us be your hands. Praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you.